If you will, turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 19 verses. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you today, this afternoon, in the name of Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I just ask you to uh, be with me as I try to um, bring out the points that you would want the people to hear, hopefully, in, in the word here, Lord. Um, Lord, just um, be with our, the congregation, Lord, and um, thank you for this opportunity to teach your word and for them being willing to, to hear me um, teach it as I'm learning and doing this, Lord. And Lord, I just ask you to, again, just to be with our church, Lord. Uh, each of us are called to different ways of service to you. We're all, all called in some way, Lord, and just let us, give us the clarity of what you want us to do, and, and Lord, just uh, thank you for the giving us the ability to do it, Lord, and just ask you to be with us here as we uh, learn your word. Thank you for your many blessings. Amen. All right, so this uh, 19 verses I'm going to break up into three sections. Um, you could probably break it up as I was reading it. There's nothing too complicated there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, then verses 6 through 11, and 12 through 19. Probably just the way your Bible has it broken up, um, kind of in topics. So, um, Verses 1 through 5, a um, few points in there we need to look at. Um, so I'm going to reread those. It says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. A lot of words, a lot of imagery there. What are we dealing with? Modern day, what would we be doing? Debt. Uh, I think kind of what we're doing in this instance is, is like a cosign thing that we've uh, kind of cosigned along for the neighbor that we've um, taken, uh, kind of been willing to take on a debt for somebody else kind of thing. Um, it begins with my son, and kind of as David talked about the last few weeks, that just signals kind of the beginning of a new lesson um, as we've got this kind of father-son dialogue going on. Um, I'll be honest with you here in verse 1. Scholars kind of disagree with who's who in this neighbor-stranger dynamic. Um, some say the stranger mentioned is the lender. And your neighbor is the person borrowing the money. Um, some say it's referring to the neighbor kind of as a stranger because you don't know them as well as you think. Kind of idea till you get in this relationship with them. 
Um, I'll be honest, you, you can look at it either way, you can come to the same point. So I don't know if that's the point we really have to hammer out so hard. But uh, just to know as you're reading it can kind of be interpreted either way. Um, as we go on to verse 2, I said cosine, but actually, what does it say? It says that we're snaring the words of, of your mouth. So in the time this was written, the way this type of agreement would have went down um, would have basically been a verbal agreement. There may have been some striking of hands, handshake type element to it. And the person given the security would have given their cloak, which was the garment that they slept in at night to keep them warm, kind of as security. Um, but we see something's wrong with the agreement. What it says is you're snared. That means like caught or trapped. So apparently here the son has entered into a, or is being cautioned not to enter into a bad agreement, right? Um, it's not a, a thing that's going to be good for him uh, to use this imagery. Uh, again, verse 3 says, save yourself. As we get into verse 3, again, to show it's a bad, bad agreement for him. Um, where it says, you have come into the hand of your neighbor. The uh, HCSB translates that, that you put yourself in your neighbor's power. So you've, um, you've basically given your neighbor the power to ruin you, to, um, to put you in this debt that you're going to have to repay for. Them. Um, we see the word hasten there. I think that gives us a clue to what's going on. My Bible and probably most of yours has got a footnote there. It says what? Humble yourself. Uh, hasten by itself kind of shows the urgency. This footnote where it could also mean humble yourself. That kind of shows maybe what caused the problem in the first place, right? Um, there was some kind of act of pride to enter into this agreement. And, and I'll kind of get into that as I get into the application of this here. The, and scholars kind of disagree. Possibly it was due to pride, and possibly somehow you entered into this agreement trying to kind of make a quick buck kind of thing. Maybe there was something where they got part of the interest on the, the loan type thing. Um, verses 4 and 5, it says, Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. And then it, Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So again, we see urgency. We see you've really gotten into a bad spot, right? It's not, I'll get it worked out. You know, it's go tonight, don't sleep on it. Uh, it's too dire of a situation. Uh, the imagery in verse 5 is you're trapped like an animal getting ready to be killed. It's interesting, it says, um, it uses the hand of the fowler, hunter, and the hand of the fowler, because we talked about this agreement, there would have been some kind of, Handshake, striking a hands element to it. Um, so as I was preparing this, I said, you know, I can go through verse by verse, define the words, and it could come off sound like, I think the guy's name's Tony Robbins, kind of a motivational speaker type thing, but I don't think we come to church to hear a motivational speaker, uh, practical, you know, a lot of practicality here, but uh, actually, my Bible, the, the title in here is Practical Warnings. But I think we need to figure out where this connects in the rest of the Bible. Where is this application as a Christian living in today's world? Um, so first of all, is this a complete prohibition on cosigning, on trying to help somebody out uh, on a loan kind of thing? I don't think it is. I think we need some guidelines. I think what we've gotten into here is the son that's being spoken to has maybe out of pride, like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal to me. You know, I, yeah, I, I can help you out, you know, trying to look like the big person that he's not financially. Um, to give you an example, um, I asked her permission. She didn't really want me to do it, but I'm going to anyway. So uh, let's say I was at... Uh, in a store, maybe at Reeves or something, and I, and I saw Sydney Kate. And Sydney Kate, there she is, I see her right now. Uh, I see Sydney Kate, maybe she's in a vending machine. 
and maybe she's got 50 cents and what she's wanting to buy costs 75 cents. And let's say Sydney Kate says, hey, John, can I borrow a quarter? Or I don't think I'm prohibited from letting Sydney Kate borrow the quarter. Why would that be? Because I, you know, I'm a tight wall, but I think I can probably make it without the quarter. <laughs> I think if Sydney Kate don't pay me the quarter back, life's going to pretty much go on the same way it would have with or without the quarter, right? So I think in that case, you know, we're all right giving Sydney Kate the quarter. If anybody wants to argue that point, I will, we'll talk at the church, I guess. But uh, I think in that, so it has to almost be like that. You know, it's fine to do this. It's fine to help people out. But if you're going to do it, you need to realize what you're getting into. It needs to be something that you can afford to do. Don't not turn it down out of pride of wanting people to think maybe you have more than you do. Um, you know, verses 3 through 5 obviously show this is something that's going to ruin the son if the neighbor doesn't make good on the debt. I talked about the scholars disagree this agreement was entered either pride or trying to make quick money, but we've got to realize both go against God's order, right? Pride like this is trying to glorify yourself. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? No, we're supposed to be trying to glorify God with our actions, right? Uh, if we do this, God will put you in your place. Um, God wants us to work, not try to make quick bucks on schemes, and I'll get into that a little more as we get about the old sluggard and the ant and all here later on but um so either's going against what god wants us to do one other problem you can get into with this i've uh i've heard if you've ever heard a guy named dave ramsey who's a christian like financial guy on the radio um on tv sometimes too he talks about if you if you kind of go on a note for somebody in your family, it kind of changes Thanksgiving dinner. You kind of look at them a little different, right? If it's going to do that, you don't want to do it. If you're going to analyze, um, if I'm going to watch Sidney Kate's every move, like where'd you get that new bracelet you ain't giving my quarterback? I don't need to give Sidney Kate the quarter, right? If I can't live, if it changes everything we're doing, don't need to do it. The last kind of application for these five verses you may kind of be shaking your head. You'd say, well, we're Christians, right? We're not supposed to live for this world, right? We're supposed to be living for the next life. So why do we even care if we go into financial ruin, right? Well, that, that's living for earthly things. Well, I don't, I don't think so much. Um, Proverbs 22, 7 states, you know, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And if we whether it's a debt like this or more likely, you know, consumer debt like most of us like to get into, these debts take your time, take your resources, right? Um, if you borrow the money, you need to pay it back. That's not a very Christian, you know, thing. That's basically stealing, right, if, if you're not paying it back eventually. Um, that hurts your service to God. If I get to the point I'm having to work... Uh, three jobs and, um, you know, can't get gas in the car so we can get to church and and those kind of restraints. We can't serve God, right? So we kind of have to think about the long play there. Um, we don't know God's plan, but if we get to a point where we're not obligated as much debt-wise, it will give us more time freed up to serve God, to do what we really need to be doing, uh, having less obligations to this world. So we move on to verse 6. We're introduced to a, I think this is the first time he comes up in Proverbs, a word that I don't use a lot. Uh, maybe some of you do, but I've never heard anybody much say it in regular conversation. To the old sluggard. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Well, I think we all know what an ant is. But sluggard, it's kind of an odd word, right? I think so. So the, the Hebrew word here is A-S-E-L, and I think there's some lines over the A and the E. Pronounce it how you will, a cell. Used 13 times in the Old Testament. All of them are here in Proverbs. Basically, it's the opposite of diligence. 
Um, the HCSB translates this word slacker. I think that's the word we use more, right? Slacker. So that, uh, New literal translation. Term I hadn't heard. I think my fourth grade teacher might have used to say it a lot. I don't know if she's on one. Used I hadn't heard it in a while. It kind of made me laugh. Lazy bones is what it says. So, so lazy bones. Um, obviously, this is a person that's kind of afraid of work, right? A, a procrastinator. A person that tries to, you know, not do as little as they can get by with. Um, I didn't want to go to all the 13 times, but this one I kind of liked. If you turn to Proverbs 22, 13, it's talking about the sluggard. It says, the sluggard said, there's a line outside. I shall be killed in the streets. This is how the sluggard keeps from going to work. It's, it's, I can't go out of this house. This is the line going to eat me up, right? I can't go to work. So this is kind of what we're dealing with. Uh, I think we've all, here in my notes, I've got known, seen, or being this person in some way, shape, or form, right? Um, we, see, we see people, they'll do more to get out of work than it would actually have been work involved to do the task, right? And, and I think we've all seen that, kind of been familiar with it. So that's, that's who we're talking to here. Uh, that's that's the, uh, what we're trying to stay away from. So verses 6 through 11 you can basically divide into two parts. Um, there's verses 6 through 8, where we're using the ant as an example of what the slugger needs to be doing. And then there's verses 9 through 11 that condemn the folly of the sluggard. So verses 6 through 8, what can the slacker learn from the ant? I mean, what great knowledge can we get from a little, you know, ant crawling around on the ground living in a hill of dirt, right? Well, what's the first characteristic the ant shows us in verse 7? She's what? She's self-motivated, right? And I use she, and Proverbs uses she. Does anybody kind of know why? I didn't go into a great zoological study of ants. But, but basically, male ants have about one role, and that's in reproduction. If you ever see an ant with wings... It's the male ant, but you don't see many ants with wings because they reproduce and they die. So the ants you see going around doing the work are female. So correctly here it, it uses a uh, feminine pronoun, which um, for whatever that little rabbit trail is worth. But um, without having any chief officer or ruler. So what she does it on her own. What, there, there's no scientific anything ever been seen of the queen ant saying hey go get the food we're going to be hungry this winter if you don't go get the food no this ant just knows to go gather the food for the winter right so self-motivated doesn't need you know here the sluggers getting this talk trying to motivate them but but the ant didn't need that just does it on her own um Come to another point in verse 8. It says, in summer and in harvest, there at the end of the kind of two phrases. Well, now, maybe the ant's not so smart, right? I mean, it's hot in summertime, right? Why do we want to go gather grain in, in the hot? Like, why don't they wait till it cools off? Not exactly a biblical quote, but it reminds me of, they said one time they asked Frank or Jesse James one why they robbed banks. Said, so, well, that's where the money was at, you know. That, so that's uh, that's when the grain's out there, right? Is in summer, in harvest. That that's when we can go get the ant can go get the food. That's when it's on the ground for them to get. So so this kind of brings us to an important point that we've got to do things when the time's right, when it's the proper time. We don't necessarily get to decide when to do it. Um, God kind of puts us in places of uh, when he wants us to do things that wouldn't necessarily go along with our time. Um, turn just one book over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I'm just going to read the first verse, and then I'll get a song stuck in your head probably, if you've heard it. But um, It says, For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. 
you read on the rest of the verses, you realize that the song, uh, Turn, 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 I think the name of it from the birds, is kind of adapted from this. Where it talks about we have to recognize, you know, we have to have some wisdom that God got us when the time to do things is. And it's not always going to be as you would lay it out. Um, I didn't ask Sidney Cates permission. She didn't give it. And I didn't even ask Kevin's permission, but I'll throw this one on out there. But. So when we were doing kind of deacon training, I think me and Kevin both went into it like, well, when the kids get a little older, we'll have done the training, then we can kind of step in and do some of these things. Well, certain people quit coming to deacon training, and we was like, well, we might be doing this now with little kids and, you know, things going on, but but we just said, well, that must be God's plan. It wouldn't be how we would plan it, but okay, you know. So, you know, it's just important to realize there's a time for everything, and God's going to show us that time, you know, time for us to, to jump in. Um, Matthew Henry, in talking about this, he notes how much it shows the glory of God that, like I say, the little ant, it's smart enough to do these things. Knows, oh, it's summer, there's food on the ground. Let me get in here. In a few months, there's no, going to be no food to gather, and I'm going to save it up for the winter. Um, so we can learn a lesson from God's creation if, if we look hard enough. So then we get into the rebuke. Here comes the rough part. My son, the, uh, the part where he's really getting on him, right? says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? So this is obviously just a rhetorical question, right? You're saying, get up. Quit laying there. Quit laying around doing nothing. Um, then verse 10, it says, a little sleep. Now that word, just kind of the difference in languages, like a direct translation would be a few of sleeps but we don't say a few of sleeps. If I said that, y'all might kind of look at me like You kind of probably think I say some weird stuff anyway, but that'd kind of take the cake for this. Uh, that, to think of that as a plural thing, so it's kind of referring to somebody taking multiple naps, right? Have you ever talked to anybody that maybe took a 30-minute nap, got up, got something to drink, and took another nap after that? That's kind of... To say a few of sleeps, that's kind of what we're getting into there, right? That, that they just kind of keep putting it off, keep putting it off. Uh, I, I'll do it after this nap. They use the word little um, three times to show how they're trying to make it a small thing. Well, I'm going to do it. Just, just give me a minute. You know, and a minute turns into an hour and days and weeks kind of thing. So uh, the way we all use language when we're procrastinating, right? But it, it, it's not a little thing because what happens in verse 11? It says poverty and want, they come upon them like an unstoppable force, right? A robber, an armed man. Um, that's, you know, it gets pretty serious on them here. Um, quick point, David gave me a book to help me get this ready. And and the vast, and I've not really said much about it here through these verses, because the vast majority of it, the guy's real intelligent, but he was way over my head for the majority. But I got this point, so I'm going to share this point with you from it. Um, the guy's name was Bruce Waltke, W-A-L-T-K-E. As we're reading Proverbs, he uses the word poverty, which is Hebrew word mashor, M-A-S-H-O-R, and poor, which is two words that can be translated to poor, R-A-S and D-A-L, the Hebrew words, or even oppressed, which is N-Y in Proverbs. So I kind of wish our language was a little bit like this, but maybe it leads to too much judgment, things we don't know. But here, kind of talking as they're doing Proverbs, it's a good kind of distinction to know. So here, poverty is used in verse 11 and not poor. Now, poverty is kind of a destitute state due to your own laziness, kind of a self-inflicted wound. Could have done better, but you're just too lazy and didn't. 
Now, poor in the book of Proverbs is never used in relation to a, like a lazy person, like a self-inflicted type wound. The, the, where you're at is a circumstance beyond your control. Um, they use, in that book, they talk about like natural disasters. Because, you know, I don't think they had as much insurance kind of thing back then. So, you know, a tornado come through, you just wiped out. Wasn't lots you could do about it. Um, we all, you know, we all know people that are that are poor, but it's because they were born into a bad situation and have done real well to kind of get out of that situation as what they can, but they still, you know, would be considered poor. Um, like I say, I kind of wish our words were a little more like this because I think sometimes we group maybe people of a lower income or whatnot into one group and kind of all look down our nose at them and say, well, they're just lazy. They could have done better if, if they wanted to, but, but they're sorry. But that's not, we know that's not the case as we really think about people. Um, so what's our application here, looking at the ant and the sluggard and whatnot? I think the first thing is, is we're not promised an easy road. Uh, turn to Genesis 2.15. So we can go all the way back to the front of this thing here. If you'll glance, glance at chapter 3, beginning of chapter 3. Does anybody have a little heading right there at the beginning of chapter 3? What's it say? The fall. So we're before the fall. This is, this is not a curse on man. It's just what God expected. So Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So prior to the fall, God intended Adam to still be working. It wasn't going to be just, I don't know, sitting around playing harps kind of thing. It was some work intended to be going on. Uh, turn to Luke 9. Chapter 23, excuse me, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we're directed to what? Not. We're going to have to do some things that's not exactly what we want to do all the time. Um, in my house, probably a conservative estimate, if Jody was in here, she would tell you maybe a larger number. I'm going to say at least two out of five Monday through Friday mornings, somebody says, I don't want to go to school. And somebody else says, not so sweetly. Well, Daddy don't want to go to work either, but I got to go, so you get your shoes on, you're going to school. So there's times it's not just what we want to do all the time. And I tried to think through Scripture. I tried to say, what's the best example in Scripture of somebody doing something they didn't want to do? If you're not going to listen to any of the rest of it, please listen to this part. I'll jump up and down, wave. Uh, I know Preacher Floyd, when I was growing up, he'd always say, verily, verily, or truly, truly in the King It was verily, verily in King James. He'd say it meant truly, truly. It meant pay attention. So if somebody's asleep, wake them up, whatever. Right here, This is the part I'd, I'd like for you to listen to. Turn to Luke 22. You will skip down to verse 42. So Jesus is praying here on the Mount of Olives. Um, things are starting to look bad. They, they're out to get Jesus, right? Well, they've been out to get him all along, but Jesus knows kind of it's his time. There's a place before he says, it's not the time, let's get out of here. But it's the time. So verse 42, this is Jesus praying, saying, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So we know what happened, or if you don't, I'm, I'm going to tell you, obviously. Um, Jesus knew he was having to go what? 
He's going to have to go get on the cross. And the cross wasn't that pretty, right? It wasn't white and have light. It was probably wooden with a bunch of splinters. He's going to have to get beat up kind of before it happened. Um, he knew he was the worst. He was going to have to take on all our sins when he got on that cross to die. And with the words there, what? Is there another way? But he knew it wouldn't, right? So, so God, you know, just now you, you're going to have to do this. You know, that's what you came to earth for. And, um, and God strengthened him with angels, but what he still, he knew it was going to be hard. And, and when you run up on something that, that you think is going to be hard, just think, well, you know, what if Jesus had tried to take the easy way out? What? No hope for any of us, right? That we're all going to hell. So, uh, you know, that, that there's, and what you not wanting to do, I guarantee you, is not that bad. Um, so just always think of that when we run up on these things. That if we're trying to serve God, even if it's something we're not really all that gung-ho about, you know, that, to go ahead and, and pray to get some motivation. Um, what do we need to do then if we see ourselves kind of growing lazy? Um, these four points are almost directly off a blog from uh, gty.org, which is like John MacArthur's website, basically. Um, there's four things to do here. Ask the Spirit to make you work, make you a hard worker for God. Read and memorize the Proverbs related to kind of being lazy and work and the value of work. Trust God to overcome bad habits related to work and diligence. And when you're tempted to be lazy, seek the Spirit in prayer and remember what God teaches. Real quick other application here, in verse 10, it almost is saying like we're not supposed to sleep, right? But we know that's not right. Uh, I've tried that a few times. It didn't work out so good. Uh, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's kind of see what it says about sleep. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You know, if you go home and take a nap, don't feel guilty. I, you know, unless you're putting off doing something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the word teaches sweet. The sleep is sweet for you know a person that's kind of earned it. That's just put in the uh, kind of honest day's work. And then, kind of the last application for these verses here is. To try to use some discretion when treat of how you treat people of lesser means with this poor and poverty thing I'm talking about in, in there. So I'm going to go to one verse in Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 19:17 to see how they use talk about the poor, which means basically they couldn't help it. That was just a situation they were born in when using Proverbs. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So even though at the beginning we're kind of cautioned against getting into loans, debt things, it's kind of saying if you can afford to do it and you help out a poor person, that, that you know, that you'll be blessed for it. Now what about the ones here like the poverty, like the sluggard? Best stated, I think, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Straight and to the point, I think. Maybe you're thinking unlike the rest of what he's saying. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. About as straightforward as it gets, right? So, then with these people that are poor do their own laziness, you know, let them get hungry and maybe they'll they'll kind of see the things differently. So I think at the end of verse 11 there's a little transition into verse 12. Um, you could maybe argue it's not, but I, I think if we look at it hard enough we see it. One of the things that comes up upon the sluggard is won't. It says, and won't like an iron man. Excuse me, armed. 
armed man. Been watching too many superhero movies, haven't we? Uh, so usually a sluggard, a procrastinator, slacker, lazy bones type. They have no lack of want, right? Matter of fact, you can't lay in the bed and sleep all day, so while you're laying there, you can start doing what? Kind of daydreaming. Man, I'd like to have that and that and that and that and that, right? So the want gets bigger and bigger. Now, if you got somebody out having to really kind of beat the soil to, to get to things, they'll say, that'd be nice, but I don't want to have to beat the soil double what I'm doing now. So I'm pretty content with, with where I'm at, right? So here you, you could see a transition from a person being this sluggard to the verse 12, we get into a worthless person, a wicked man, right? So we've got all this big want, still lazy, but maybe we can get the money another way, right? Maybe we can, uh, uh, so it goes in that in verse 12, it says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. So this here where it says wicked man, this word, Actually, the word translated wicked man is almost like the word insurrectionist, which would kind of a little different than wicked man, right? But the reason that's the word is we're trying to overthrow God's natural order. We talked about, you know, God wants us to work. God wants us to do things. Um, so that's kind of how that word ends up being wicked man is because when thing we're doing against God's order, you know, it's kind of like an insurrectionist. Uh, so we see he goes about with crooked speech. The wicked man's kind of what? He's kind of a con man, right? He's kind of trying to work a scheme, trying to take your money. Uh, wasn't the most poetic, and I may have quoted a little wrong, but I used to get my hair cut uh, there just up a hill from Jamie's house, if you know where Jamie lives. A man named Lacey Sawyers had a sign up. It seemed like somebody crocheted it for him or something. It said something along these lines, and this may not be exactly it, but it was about this poetic. It said, for every dollar I make, there's six people laying awake at night trying to get it from me, or, or something along those lines. And, and why I remember that, I, I guess it was to teach Proverbs 6, verse 12 here. I, but that sign was up in Lacey's, and it made me think of that. So, so we kind of get into a list of body parts here describing this wicked man, this worthless person. Um, starts with crooked speech. Uh, speech comes from what? From a tongue, right? If you cut my tongue out, I can't talk. I may, about 25 minutes, be ready to cut it out. I don't know, but maybe we'll get it done for you. So turn to James 3. So we'll look at James 3, uh, verses 3 through 5. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Let's skip down to verse 8. But no human being contained the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So here crooked speech, talking about the tongue, and I think especially... Maybe with kids you get it more because, boy, you say something, they remember it, right? You say something, you said it. So, you know, I think that's hard for all of us to tame the tongue. Uh, but we really have to be careful because I want you to see kind of where it leads. started maybe in the mouth and then worked in the worst parts of the body. Um, the NIV, instead of crooked speech, says a corrupt mouth. NASB says perverse mouth. Um. The HCSB kind of gets out of the whole body part thing. It just says go around speaking dishonestly. It just kind of spells it out. But I think it all means the same thing. Um, so it starts out with a lie coming out of the mouth, and then it works into what in verse 13? It says it winks his, he winks his eyes. He signals with his feet. He points with his finger. Um, Matthew Henry kind of points out here that he's doing things an honest man don't understand, Right? It's almost like the, 
you know, third base coach or something, baseball. Thing. So, so it tells us two things here. Number one, that it's not just the mouth. Then all of a sudden other things come involved. The other thing it tells us is all that silliness I just did. I wouldn't do that if I'm only one in on the scheme, right? So I'm. Ha if we are signaling with our feet, pointing with our fingers, winking with our eyes, there's somebody else involved in the wickedness, right? And I'll get into that a little more later, but it's an important point. Um, then in verse 14, um, we see that this thing's spreading like an infection. I've heard David talk about gangrene here, whatever. Um, Going to talk about the dental pre-med. Right, dental pre-med we have to take sometimes. We don't want infection our gum to get to the heart. That's why we do that. But that this thing can spread like an infection. Um, it kind of went, we'll say head to toe, started in the mouth, and we talked about signal with the feet. Now we've got into an, an internal organ, and it's not um, internal organ, and it's not your appendix, right? It's pretty important. It's your heart. Um, let's talk, especially with all that's raining, let's talk about the flood. Let's turn to Genesis 6-5. What does it say? So this is pre-flood with Noah in Genesis 6-5. It uses the same language. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. So, this continually, talking about the heart continually, um, in verse 14, kind of like the sluggard. We've seen this person too, right? They're working real hard at doing wrong. They're working so hard at doing wrong, they could have made an honest living working hard, right? right? But they get there. The best, this is kind of a caricature of it, but if you ever think about the, I guess they're old now. It means I'm getting old, but the, if anybody's ever seen the Austin Powers movies, Dr. Evil, and I do a lot of research on this part, so I may be a little off, but right, the guy, they freeze him in the 60s, him and Austin Powers, they, for some reason, they froze him in the 60s. I can't remember exactly what happened, but well, Dr. Evil's empire, they had all these frontal businesses to launder the money, right? Well, when they bring him back, they're like, well, look, we got these frontal businesses business is profitable we just quit the corrupt stuff but he can't stand it right so he's going i think blow up the moon or something unless they give him a million dollars because he had to do the evil he couldn't stand the the frontal business was just supposed to be the line of the money not let that be the means of making the money uh, we see this that's kind of a caricature but in real life have you ever talked to anybody like maybe that's had their credit card hacked or something these people get real creative. I mean, they can make a credit card in their basement and, and stuff. And, and I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't mind that guy working for me, you know, except he's obviously dishonest. He's pretty smart. But he don't want to apply it to a good thing. His, his heart's stuck. He's, he's here. His heart's stuck on evil. So, so that's where he's at. Um, and it talks about him continually sowing discord which is the same thing verse 19 will kind of wrap up when we get there. I'll kind of leave that for that. But um, Verse 15, it kind of links the destiny of this wicked man with, um, with his plan to overthrow the Lord's righteous order. It says, Calamity comes upon him suddenly, broken beyond healing. And we link it to verses 16 through 19 of why this judgment's coming on him, because he's doing what God hates, right? It says he's broken here. This word broken is like what they would use if a ship, you know, a wooden ship got tossed around in the sea and was just splintered, just little fragments. That's kind of where they would use broken, or like a neck breaking. So this is a pretty, you know, big word there. Um, it says beyond healing, because what's his end going to be? Eternal death, right? Hell and damnation. So get there, not a lot of healing for you. So let's, uh, let's kind of wrap up looking at verses 16 through 19, uh, which I creatively titled Seven Things to Avoid. So David, I think, talked about last week, these six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. 
the sixth and seventh thing, that was just kind of a figure speech. At one point during this, I kind of thought I was going to draw something out of that the seventh was different, and maybe it is, but I think it's just a figure speech. Um, abomination just means something that causes disgust or hatred. Again, uh, not a word we always use. So, um, went to uh, Warren Worsby here for it, these verses. I thought had a good job of kind of talking about the misused body parts, what was going on. And a lot of these are the same as what we see in the wicked man there in, in verses 12 through 15. So in verse 17, what's it start out with? It says, haughty eyes. What does that mean? It means proud, arrogant. Um, problem with that is, is pride leads to all other sins, right? We're, we're, we're putting something over God, and that's ourself. We're trying to glorify ourself. Um, I guess the worst instance of this, turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, go down to verses 12 through 14. So Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Let's read verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol and to the far reaches of the pit. Anybody know who that's talking about? What's that talking about? It's talking about the fall of Satan. So, so that was, we don't know the whole story, and it's hard to piece together. But pride's what brought Satan down. Um, and turn to Matthew 5, and remember this is the first thing listed that God hates. So Matthew 5, that's what, the Beatitudes, right? So what's the first beatitude? It's in Matthew 5, chapter 5. So Matthew 5, verse 3 says, first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's kind of the opposite, right? The beatitude is saying the opposite of the person with the haughty eye. Remember, that's the first beatitude, the first one of these. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, what's the next thing, next body part? It's a lying tongue, right? What's John 8, 44 say? John 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, God sees lying as a deadly force. Uh, it's a source of division. It messes up all kind of things. And these first two, I think, with the other verses, with the Isaiah verse and the verse in John. So rather than being Christ-like, with these characteristics, we're being the direct opposite, right? We're being Satan-like. We're being like the devil. Um, the next thing's hands that shed innocent blood. Basically saying like first-degree murder. And I think, I don't have to tell you too much to say that's wrong, but we know it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not kill. Um, if you think some of these others aren't that big a deal, realize it's on the list with murder. So, I mean, pretty big deal. Um, a heart that devises wicked plan. It says heart, but we know heart kind of means heart and mind. Um, that's a misuse of God's gift of imagination. Uh, look at what all man's come up with that for good. But we're misusing that when we do it to come up with evil plans, with wicked plans. Um, turn to Romans 1.21 real quick on that. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, so we see that our heart, as we kind of let the other body parts get to go, then all of a sudden it's just our heart. We're just all in on doing wrong, absolutely doing wrong. The things God hates, things that are an abomination to him. Um, what's the next body part? It says, feet that make haste to run to evil. Um, so they want an immediate satisfaction. 
here again, they, they're working hard to do wrong. They, they're running. They, they, they got to get there and do the wrong. They got to do the wrong. Um, a false witness who breathes out lies. Acts 1.8 tells us that we're called to be witnesses to the truth, right? Not to be breathing out lies. We know, again, here's another one of the Ten Commandments broken. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Uh, Matthew Henry points out there's seven things God hates, and two of them are lying. <laughs> so if we think it, you know, it's all right to tell a little lie here and there, you know, just realize two of the seven things God hates basically come down the line. And then the last thing is sowing discord among brothers. Problem here, um, the HCSB translates this, stirs up trouble. Sowing this discord. Looking at it as a church, and, and it could apply to any relationship, but, but we in church, so let's look at it as a church. Um, brothers there, obviously that mean brothers in Christ because Christ ain't come at this time. So um, I see it as almost like secondhand smoke. So we start out doing wrong, and we get this grand scheme, and then what, like in verse 13, we're talking about our signaling, We'll get some other people involved in our scheme, right? And all of a sudden, we got evil on them. So it, it's, it's a pretty serious thing. That, that Not only are you doing it to yourself, but you're doing it to these other people you're bringing in. We're dragging others down. Uh, we see it in churches all the time. People can't work for the Lord because they're too busy trying to work against each other, right? And it all starts from one act of evil. Now, granted, others could do better, but... You think, how many times have we said, heard people say, I hate a liar? Well, we're hating. We're hating God's creation. Now, if I hadn't told a lie in the first place, maybe we wouldn't, wouldn't be there. But, but still, these things start trouble, start division, start problems amongst us. Um, so I think the application of these verses is, is pretty clear. Don't sow discord and honor God's call to honest work and words. That's their obvious application here. So, and if we see ourselves slipping into one of these, maybe the lying tongues or the haughty eyes, pray to get off that path because it's leading to a lot worse as we go forward. So I'll kind of wrap up there and um, hope you all got something out of that.